The Marching Roundtable is proud to be an official media partner of Drum Corps International and Music for All. This podcast is sponsored by Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com slash roundtable. The next thing you're talking about that's really been affecting you is movement pattern. So a lot of that comes from also theatrical things and designing a lot of ballet and all that. It's like you to set up a show for success, you set, you set up a director for good movement. That's Michael Rayford, a visual design guru who's worked with many very successful groups in our activities. Michael created the set design for Archbishop Alter High School. We talked with him as part of our 2022 Bands of America wrap-up series. There is great advice here for anyone who creates or teaches the visual part of any show. Making the right choices with set pieces and props and how to use them correctly makes all the difference. That's all you've done. You've helped that smaller band have this focus that got felt bigger in that space, you know, and it did. And plus, I mean, plus the performers were amazing and they were truly like 36 stars and everyone shown and they were having the time of their lives which comes back to the most important thing of all of this, you know? So yeah, they, I, you could tell they felt like they were in a special place and looked special and we're doing a very wonderful special thing. And if, and if entertainment, what we are, entertainment education is about anything. It's about that. Members can see the video version of this podcast at marchingartseducation.com. There's a link to that video at the marching Roundtable where this podcast is located, or just look for members only videos at marching arts education. Set design for small bands on the Marching Roundtable. This podcast is sponsored by FJM, Fred J. Miller Incorporated. FJM is the leader in marching arts uniform manufacturing and continues to lead the charge through groundbreaking design, superior service, and over 60 years of industry innovation. The Cesario collection of marching band uniforms is 100% machine washable, includes a limited lifetime warranty, and makes the fitting process a breeze with their adjust-a-cuff and adjust-a-hem technology. Now is the perfect time to create a new image for your program chat with a live FJM representative or schedule your complimentary consultation today at fjminc.com slash roundtable. That's fjminc.com slash roundtable. Fred J. Miller Incorporated, family owned and operated since 1960. Hey guys, it's Lindsay Vinto with the Academy and the DCI broadcast team. And I am here today to implore you and encourage you um, to find everything that you can in your heart and your being and as a marching arts educator or a performer or member in any way um, to continue to support Tim Hinton and the marching arts education and the marching roundtable. I know me personally, I have taken so much value in the content that Tim has offered. I have been lucky enough to be on multiple webinars and podcasts with him. And the content that is offered from an educational standpoint, from a design standpoint, content that can be used by your membership, by your students, your high school students, by your staff, um, your design team, whatever it is, the content is there. And I really hope you'll consider going straight to the website, giving that $5.99, 
and keeping this awesome content going and the amazing work by Tim Hinton. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. It's Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts, talking to one of the smartest people on the planet, Michael Rayford. How are you, Michael? Hi, Tim. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's not fair to start that way because that, now you, everything – I don't want you to feel like everything you say has to be brilliant, although it probably will be. Yeah, it's all downhill from now, Tim. <laughs> it's all downhill. So, Michael, I'm so, I'm so looking forward to talking to you today. Thanks for doing this. So you, of course, as everybody knows who you are because you're this sort of set designer extraordinaire. You've had these wonderful successes in all kinds of theater and, and Winter Guard and marching band and drum corps and all these things. Um, loving everything going on with the blue coats. The last few years have just been more and more bold and crazy and interesting. And it was one of my favorite things this whole summer. Thank you. I appreciate that. Very and, much. and of course we see your work in all kinds of woodlands and all kinds of different places that it's all, it's all brilliant and fun. So the reason we're talking today is because um, I've been staging and working with the Archbishop Alter high school band for I just had a conversation with Todd Tucker, the director there. 15 years I've been working with this band. I didn't realize wow. it's been that long. But each year lately, things keep going better and better. This year, of course, they were the Class A champion. Really exciting. Everybody loved that Stevie Wonder show. And I I feel like a big part of how it was able to work so well was the set design that you helped us with. Um, you did, you know, we... Last year, we were doing that Chuck Mangione show. We came to you and said, okay, we have these pieces of a puzzle. We have these ramps and we have these platforms and stairs and things. And like, how can you give us a, a new way of using these set pieces? There were like six backdrops. There's a percussion ensemble that's always staged on the field. And they're a small group, right? This year, they had 36 kids on the field, of which like 20 are wins players. Um mm -hmm. I think there were six color guards. So it's a very small band that's, that's having a great level of success. So last year I, we came to you and said, can you help us give us a new idea? And you, and you drew this fantastic, it was like a long, do you want to describe it? It was like a long ramp going up one side and then turning a corner and going down the other way. I think you just did it. <laughs> okay. So, so anyway, and then this year you gave us this runway thing that I think a lot of people will recognize the yellow runway. Um, anyway, as a drill designer, Michael, I've been doing this a really long time and I've had a lot of success and worked with a lot of small bands because, you know, there's like you have to kind of understand how that works and how they have to move and how fast things happen when you have small bands. But anyway, your set design suggestions that you've given us the last two years have transformed the way I have been able to write drill and the way the success that they've had. And so I thought I would just pick your brain about it. Do it. Here we go. Okay. I'm off. What do you want to know? So, so I'm not someone that feels like there need to be tons of stuff all over the field necessarily. For most bands, I feel like, but you need the right smart thing. And I feel like that's what you're great at. That's what you gave us the last two years at Alter was the right smart thing. So let's start with the first one. It was like a long ramp going up once. It was like a little like an L, right? It's a long ramp going up one side and then it turned a 90 degree corner came down the other side and we placed it sort of right in the middle of things with the backdrops on one side, the percussion ensemble on the other, that Chuck Mangione show. And I like, it was a breeze. Like the writing drill with, for that was a breeze because it was so easy to move people up and around and over. So talk about how you knew that was going to be, make my life happy. Wow. There's a lot of ways to answer that. Um, <laughs> first of all, 
what a lot of what you're talking about is how do we capture the space we're in uh, for a group and make it tameable to create a show? Because that's a lot of why we have set design. Same reason why we have, uh, you know, microphones and things like that. You know, where especially for a band like Alter, you're in a super unfair situation. <laughs> and so you want to find a way to to capture, to focus this, this huge space, to focus the space and to be able to get that show out there. So that's the number one thing we're trying to do is how do we capture that space? Then the next thing you're talking about that's really been affecting you is movement pattern. So a lot of that comes from also theatrical things and designing a lot of ballet and all that. It's like you to set up a show for success, you set up, you set up a director for good movement, you know? So like when I did the, the Chuck Mangione and this year too, I had a lot of arrows. Like when I, I sketched the thing, I was like, I had a lot of arrows going, here's a great movement pattern with this, or here's a great movement pattern, you yes. know? Uh, the the Mangione had a little more circular qualities. The uh, this year had that that long line that gave you all kinds of impetus for movement. Like I was I was on the field for their um, show at the end at finals. I was oh. down right in front of them. Yay. So uh, yeah, um, so that's what that does. It sets you up for success for that. It gives you opportunities. It gives you places to go to or come from, and that's all that's really done. You know, it's, it's set those axes up. All right. And, and see, that all sounds very simple and logical. And it was. And yes, both years, it was very easy to write drill because you had set me up for that movement. But I feel like average guy out there trying to figure out how to put your set pieces to create flow of movement doesn't know how to make the right choices that you inherently from your years of experience in the theater and everything knew how to do. So let's talk about that first one. That shows that L yes, I found it very easy to take people up and over and around. There was this circular thing. They could come behind it. They could come up on it. They could come in front of it. And it was, it was really fun and easy. And what I was surprised was how much a difference it made. Like I've, I've often had the stage set without that piece and I have this big blank open field. And then it's sort of like, okay, well, what do I do with this big? But you, by giving us this L-shaped ramp, it created that movement. So how do I know how to make that choice? Good question. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, um, I think it's always about where's the, where's the focus. Right. You know, is there a central focus things are coming to and from? And I think that's the thing. And then you set up your, you know, you're, you're helping to set up the composition of the, of, of your staging area, whatever that might be, indoor, outdoor, whatever. And, and it's simple as that. It's, it's simple as, you know, looking at any painting, looking at any graphic. I often use advertisements when I'm teaching like a design basics class to go, you know, what's the focus? What's the primary thing? How do lines lead to that? How do things lead away from it? You know, and also be, this is not in a vacuum, and I, um, I'll say this to our listeners out there. This is not in a vacuum. You know, I stage, I direct, I have choreographed, although I'm too old at that now. Um, uh, you know, I am a set designer. I'm a costume designer. I'm a video director. So it's like I see things holistically. And so the fact that um, for this particular product, I only do set design, but that's coming with all that other knowledge. I'm not right. just going, this right. would be real pretty against pink. You know, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm understanding the whole. Right. And it's important to say to people in this case too, 
you guys have done the uh, the concept. Someone else has done the costume. Someone else has you know done all of that work for this, and I'm literally just coming in and providing a context. But that context is based on all of that, you know. Yes. And so when I you know seeing the costume, where's the costume going to feel at home? If I'm doing both, which I often am, I'm starting with usually sometimes a big concept, but I'm starting with who are the people. That's always super important. And then how do the people move? So in this case, you know, um, quite honestly, beyond that, it's the magic of creativity. You know, it's like there was just an instinct for me. Oh, a runway would be fun for this. And then I started playing with how that runway could work. Uh, I think it's also important to say that this project is based around stock pieces, and that's important for a lot of schools to understand. Right. You know, this wasn't a something that you do and use only one year. Those ramps are stock pieces. The backdrops are stock pieces. So I also was working within comfortably within that parameter. You know, it's, some people call it limitation. It's just a parameter. You know, and so that's what I did. From there, I just started sketching things and going, "Oh, well, if a runway would be cool, where did that?" come from or two. And so this year to me, it made sense to connect all your backdrops and really get more of a monolithic feel that created an offstage, you know, actually for this. So, right. I mean, literally the process, but yeah, there's a lot of, of time and experience and knowledge that's wound into that. And the important word, which is instinct, you know, it's like understanding as an artist, your instinct, and then how that can or can't work or does or doesn't work. It doesn't always work. Right. So you sent me a drawing of this year's, the Stevie Wonder Show that people know from Archbishop Walter. And you sent me a picture of this long yellow runway coming out from behind these backdrops. And my first reaction mm -hmm. was, like, that's really beautiful. You know, like that's that's like so cinematic almost. And like the, the idea of it was exciting. And then immediately I had like a major sort of panic attack because I was like, oh, my God, can I write drill for this? Because it seemed at first glance very limiting. I was like, OK, well, there's a runway. So you go down it this way and you go down it this way and then you exit or you're on stage. And like I at first I thought this is terrifying. I like it. I think it's beautiful. I'm excited about it. But I'm really scared by this. And well, what you found, and let me tell you what you found, because I watched it. What you found was that that strong line could intersect anything you were doing yes. and create an focus. And you didn't have to have linear things. You could have curved things. You could circle around it. But by having that one person doing the acrobatic work coming down, that created a really great tension for the rest of the things that were going on. So tension is a great word there. Yes. And you're right. And that is what I found is once I started, I, you know, I, I drew it out there and we took the existing pieces. They had long ramps, some, some long stages. Anyway, we put them together to make this thing. I think they, they bought a couple new pieces. So it's long, but anyway, you're right. Once I started thinking about it and figuring out, okay, well, it would be cool if the show started where they all come down the ramp because it's obviously going to go down this runway a lot. Um, you're right. I found the things you just described. I found ways that, I could use it that were hopefully surprising. And then I found my challenge, Michael. I feel like the, the thing I love about any sort of prop or set piece or anything is you use it and then you use it in a bunch of ways nobody's going to expect. And so like it can, oh, I didn't see that coming. Or oh, wow, I, that's a great idea. I never would have thought of grabbing that thing and doing that with it. So that was my next thing was, why, okay, how many different ways can I use this setup of this runway 
Um, and, you know, I hope you feel like I found some good ones because it was a mm-hmm. lot of fun to try to be creative and figure out, okay, oh, what if they all sat on it, right? You know, that kind of thing. And it was a perfect example of sitting on it and not having and being able to look over the shoulder this way and still be really present, you know, because some people would think, oh, they're looking over there. No, they weren't. It was like you, you saw them in profile, you know, which was really interesting. So the word I want to introduce here is obstacle. So a lot of times on stage and directing, people talk about, you know, what's your obstacle? Or if there's an obstacle in the set, what does that motivate? How does that motivate you to get around it? You know, and obstacles can also be something emotionally that we work towards or against, like what's your, you know, what's your goal? What's your what's your path of something? And the minute you throw an obstacle into it, you know, sometimes people do this and sometimes that's great. And sometimes people do this, you know. And so what you had there wasn't a, a really positive obstacle, you know. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and a lot of times great creativity comes when you have that obstacle. I can tell you as a music arranger, Michael, sometimes my best shows have been when somebody said, I've only got three trumpets and they can't even hardly play a, a note. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I've got to get really creative with with this music for this marching band because they don't have that. Or I have 45 flutes and a trombone, right? And I feel like at this point... If I'm a good, I'm good enough arranger, I can make that work. I'm like, okay, that doesn't scare me anymore because right. I know I can be creative around that. So that's sort of what you gave me here. You gave me this obstacle, this runway, and then I had to get creative. Um, some of the greatest freedoms are in limitations, right? Musical quote. So I want to, like, what's the takeaway for drill writer, band director, stager out there? Like, I feel like we've kind of said it already, but I want to make sure we're making this point is that I felt like, by getting the setup right, the the basic, as you said, sort of the, the way things are going to move, um, by getting that that making that choice wisely up front, then all of a sudden my job became really easy. Oh, I can here's all the things I can do with this new obstacle with this set design. I think number one is don't try to cover too much space with too few things. A lot of people will say I have six things. Oh, I've got to cover this whole space, so I'm going to put them like three yards apart. Well, that doesn't really help you because in our world of using multiples, the closer they are, the more they magnify each other. And the other thing is like all you've done is giving me six tiny focuses when you do that. If you bring them together, I've created at least one really good focus on the field, you know, on the stage, on anywhere, you know, and I've given you a place to work to and from. And so basically we've we've created, again, for a school, especially their size, we didn't try to hide the fact of where we were. We just really focused you, you know. So use your stock, use your more, you know, limited palette to, to create a great focus that you can work to, from, around, and give you motivation to come to and from that focus. That would be my takeaway. No, that's it. And the thing is, as a drill writer, you know what? That's all I need. Because that's enough for one show. You know, like a show doesn't need too many ideas. It needs a few really good ideas explored a lot, or maybe even one idea explored a lot. So I feel like if you get that set up and we know where that focus is going to be or how moving in and out of that focus or around that focus or whatever, um, like that's enough to write a show. You know, that's enough to stage a band with 36 kids for seven minutes. Absolutely. 
And people have done other things for that scale. They've, you know, they've actually pulled out a winter guard tarp and go, here's our stage. Yes. You know, and just be happy with that. If we're going to be happy being in that arena, we have to be happy, you know, doing the suspension of our disbelief, you know, and go, well, here's my show. But that's, that's all you've done. You've helped that smaller band have this focus that got felt bigger in that space, you know, and it did. And plus, I mean, plus the performers were amazing and they were truly like 36 stars and everyone shown and they were having the time of their lives, which comes back to the most important thing of all of this, you know? So yeah, they, yeah. I, you could tell they felt like they were in a special place and looked special and we're doing a very wonderful special thing. And if, and if entertainment what we are entertainment education is about anything it's about that <clears throat> you know so well, i love i love that <laughs> that makes me really happy that you just said that and yeah. i think that that's exactly what happened i think that's why we, we i was just talking with todd like i said yesterday we did our podcast recording about you know all all the here's the thing michael like we all put shows together and we have these ideas of these moments like a lot of times when i'm designing Months and months before something happens, I think, okay, this could be a really like, this could be a real moment. Like this could be, maybe, maybe we bring people to tears. We bring people a lot of joy. We get them to clap along. But I got to tell you, because I'm not perfect and I make a lot of mistakes or whatever, or, or the situation or the band or whatever, a lot of the time, a lot of the times it doesn't happen. So that was what was so amazing to us this year was a lot of those moments that we dreamed about, that we were excited about, that we got emotional about as we were designing the show actually happened as we wanted. You know, when that harmonica hit at the end and people were up and clapping along, it was like, this is exactly the way we dreamed it might be, but it actually worked and it seemed like a miracle. The harmonica was a very humanizing moment and a familiar moment that everyone could step into. And they were surprised in this environment, in this huge stadium with not so great lighting, I might say, you know, that um, that suddenly that was there and that was exciting. Um, but the number one thing you did, and I will say this in my spectrum of, you know, this project to Bluecoats, the number one thing you did is you connected those students to that piece and they felt that piece and they communicated their feelings of that piece. And everything that we did worked because that worked. Because that worked, because those kids were uh, believable. They had an absolute sense of believability and realness, and that's why they could electrify that stadium. So that's why it all worked. You know, they were set up for success. Yes, they were set up by events and variety and all kinds of interesting things, but they were the ones who actually bought in and whatever you did to get them to really feel comfortable being themselves and connecting to that, that's why this worked. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I wasn't there doing that, you know, but I talked to Todd Tucker about that. And he, I asked him, you know, how do you get them to be so comfortable, to be so vulnerable, to be comfortable being themselves? Because you're absolutely right. We knew how happy they were. And, you know, he said to me, those smiles weren't faked, you know, like they were really happy, you know, and like you said, we set them up, we gave them the harmonica moment, we gave them the hat, we gave them this dance, but still we could share their joy. Um, and that's what you're describing, I think. It is. And, you know, in my world, I work, I work that full spectrum. You know, I work as a performance coach at Blue Coats and at, you know, at Woodlands and at 
you know, other schools and you know, Fishers and Stridge, you know, it's like I work as a performance coach there. So I'm working on both ends. And so it's always, it keeps me in check to understand at the end of the day, the importance of that. And I'll use my sports analogy. It's called setup and spike. You know, we do the setup, but they have to come in and spike it. And if they don't know how to spike it, then all the setup in the world, the ball just falls back to the court. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Right. And I feel like a lot of bands don't have the setup. And so they that's a real challenge from the beginning. And I've seen bands try to spike a show that wasn't set up well, and, that, and that's still exciting to see. Um, but when the two come together, when they have the right setup, they have the right vehicle, they have the right moment, and then you see those kids spike it, that's when, that's what we all th get thrilled to. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be really corny here, so edit this out if you want. That's entertainment. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Um, it is. And, and, but, you know, because we... We talk about entertainment in the world of marching and all these different things we do. But but I think a lot of times people are trying to figure out how what is that intangibility of it. You've sort of described it and explained it in a way that I think makes this conversation really helpful. And I just want to say for my sake and for everyone else's sake, big E entertainment doesn't always mean familiar things. Like there's plenty of groups out there, and I work with some of them, who do super classical or super abstract things but are still set up in a way to captivate and move an audience in an impossible setting, you know? And so that's still big E entertainment, but I have to make sure that each one of those things has its highs and lows and moments and surprises and setup and spike and emotional connection from the performer, whether that's high, medium, low, whatever it is, you know, it's just sometimes easier to see when you're doing a show like this, or I, I'm going to go to other things and go like the Woodlands or like when the Bluecoats were doing Beatles, it was easier to see that, you know, but it doesn't mean that that's, that's the only thing that is entertainment. It doesn't mean that, you know? So I do, I do think it can give, it can give us a head start, can. you know, because in my opinion, I think everybody, one of the things we loved about this, this Stevie Wonder show was that I think people already have an emotional, joyful connection to this music. Right. So yeah. it is a little bit of a head start, but that doesn't mean yeah. you're right. It doesn't mean it can't be done with um, Barbara or Bartok or Tarkovsky. No. Or, well, and let me also say, and just to make the point, if you do something like Stevie Wonder and you're not emotionally connected to it, that's going to be the first thing. People are going to get a hot dog. They're going to be like, oh, you didn't mean it. <laughs> oh, you're killing my good memory. Stop it. <laughs> now, wait a minute. That's a very interesting comment because Absolutely. I got to tell you, Michael, I, it's the same thing I said after the Blue Coast Beatles show. I always said I've never seen a Beatles show I liked uh -huh. until now. And I feel uh -huh. like Stevie Wonder is sort of the same setup. And that's another reason I was nervous about this show because I was like, man, people have yeah. expectations. It has those grooves have to be right, you know, and it and so that's interesting because I haven't seen very many Stevie Wonder shows that I liked either. And there you are. I, I, when I, I'm going to take it to when I did the Wizard of Oz on stage for a ballet, the first thing I felt the weight of was I don't want to kill people's childhood memories, <laughs> you know, and there was a lot of weight. So, yeah, you take on Stevie Wonder, you better be ready to literally throw down, you know. When the Bluecoats did the Beatles, there were many, many discussions of how many people would sit there with folded arms and go, yeah, right, you know, whatever. And how do you, of course, you know, 
smart people go, well, people are going to have this reaction. How do we make sure that they come on the journey with us? So that's what you did. You went, how do I, how do I make sure people come on the journey with me? And you gave them every reason to do that. And the best reason was that the kids believed the journey. That, that was the absolute best thing of all of it. Those kids believed that journey. That keyboard player, what? <laughs> yeah, what a star. Shout out to keyboard player. Hello. Oh my goodness. What what a star to have isolated and just like kind of directing the whole show, you know? Yeah, that's why. And of course, that's why we put him up on that yellow cube. The year before with the Mangione show, it had been the drum guy who was also right. the singer that was doing that role. Right. And when you have a small band, <clears throat> no drum major, you, you need to have sometimes you need to have somebody doing that. But yeah, that that uh, that whole show was written around that piano kid, of course. Well, yes. I mean, but you like go into that here. This is important. People understand, you know, everything from I'm going to I'm going to do this because I'm doing a spectrum from, you know, from this project to Blue Coats. Same thing. Who's your talent? What are your talent? What are you, what are the tricks? What are the secret tricks we don't know from a vocalist to a guitar player to your keyboard player to the person who could do the backflips to the person who could throw the 10 to the person who could actually stand up in front of everybody and sing. I repeated that. But, you know, find all of, you know, find all your tools. Find all the things that make you unique. A harmonica player. Oh, can't have harmonica and drum corps. It's a read. Um, <laughs> uh, it's like... <laughs> You know, yes, find those things and make it as special as you can to your program. Absolutely. So that's interesting because I do think that the reason I got, I was so thrilled by that guitar player in the Blue Coats was because um, of who that kid was and what he was like, the way he was bringing that and his joy in that moment of his performance. Am I catching the right? Am I doing this right? Is that right? Oh. Absolutely. It, it totally was. And he was one of those people that took coaching so well um, that and that just exploded over the season, you know, exploded over the season. So, yes. But we also already knew that personality was there and those chops were there. So figuring out how that could work was also the right. That's the job of a good team, you know. How do you make that work? How do you set them up for success? How do you coach them to do enough, not too much? You know, how do you make that real and not become surreal? Well, maybe surreal is good, you know, but not become fake. How does it remain real and true every night? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about that for a minute because this is really important. And <clears throat> this is a wonderful analogy, actually, that guitar player with the blue coats versus that what we were just trying to do and what happened with the CB Wonder Show was the same dynamic. The joy of the performers was real and authentic and palpable. So you're talking about coaching them not to do too much. I feel like it's sort of like the little tiny girls doing cheerleading competitions where they're doing these big smiley faces and I just want to run because it's, it's so unauthentic. So how, do you, how did you get that guitar player to not do too much? To not to not seem like he was like because it was so natural like he was just having the time of his life <clears throat> and I was getting to share that with any good well first of all there is a you know there is in any in most of the programs I work with not all of them there is a performance track of some kind you know even if it's unfortunately rapidly done on the field or it's done inside before they go outside and that's the same with blue coats um 
And so there is a basis of performance. And then you also, like any good director, like on stage or whatever, you know, you're hoping that skill set comes in naturally already or worked upon skill set. And then you're just guiding and editing. So with Ryan, um, this was a guiding and editing and going, oh, why don't you go ahead and move here? Great. You're not playing here. Why don't you turn around and watch them come to you? That way, when you come back in, all the horns are moving around you. As you turn back to the audience, we've got your presence again. And then you get that, and then you let his skill set fill that in. And then, you know, and then there's places that are going too far. You go, pull it back, pull it back, you know, keep it real. And so it's, I think it's, it's directing. That's directing, guiding and editing, you know. So back to your kids at this show, um, you also had people that had skill sets to deliver, you know, and that's what's important too. And so they could deliver those skill sets with a natural ability and you just had to guide them or elevate them or shape them. And that's what directing is, you know, that's what directing actually is. So, yeah. And not everybody has the directing chops of Michael Rafer or these other brilliant people, but I feel like obviously somebody there does. Obviously somebody. Yeah, somebody I, there that's, does. well, that's what I was going to say. Is, is that I feel like the the altar thing is like these are great kids, but like they're not really different from the kids everybody has standing in front of them. They have good training that we we gave them a good vehicle to work with that kind of thing. But you know, I I talked to Todd about you know how do you get them to perform like that, and he describes you know they work on that. You know, they, they talk to them and they do exercises and they do all those things. So listen, everybody, if you're listening to this and you're like, I want my kids to be able to perform authentically like that and share that with the audience, that is a skill you have to work on. And there is a way that you can do that and you can learn that. Pull in your theater department, pull in your directing people. Hopefully you have a theater department. If you don't have a theater department, somebody's got some form of theater in their town, even if it's a tiny, tiny community theater, you know, pull in an acting coach, pull in that to come in. And to work on those things, um, you know, that is a specific skill set that, you know, I, I have worked to develop for the nonverbal, you know, performer. Um, and so that's super important of how you connect those kids to all of that, you know. Yeah. So, but that's, so sometimes that's when you're designing a set for theater, say, or ballet or whatever, um, you're, you talked about creating an obstacle. Do, do you do that? But based on, well, this this show needs that or is it some like, how do you make that decision when to do that or how? Well, sometimes you call it an obstacle. Sometimes you call it motivation for a scene, you know, like uh, if I'm, so that can be the same thing, you know, in the middle of wizard of Oz, there's this like human driven, just like we do on the band field because ballet stages can't have automation in them. So it's totally human driven you know, ramp that happens to be in a Z with an O in the middle. Oh my God, it's Oz. You know, and how that moves with dancers to one person could be an obstacle to another person is an opportunity. So turning obstacles into opportunities is actually what you're hoping to set someone up for. It could be as simple as if you're doing a realistic piece, is there a coffee table in the middle of the room or an ottoman? And I've had this with like performers before. And some people in a situation will be like, let's get the ottoman out of the way. Some people in a situation will be like, oh, wait, no, if you stop at that ottoman and have to get around it in the middle of this argument, what does that do to you? That's the positive use of an obstacle. You know, what is that having on a normal, to think of your normal living room, the fact that you have to circle around a coffee table, do you want to do that versus, and, and, and some people will be like, 
yes, that's great because that sets up this and this and this obstacle and blah, blah, blah. Some people will be like, do we have to have a coffee table? <laughs> you know, and that's how some people work. So I think the opportunity of obstacle is interesting, but it's also that same obstacle becomes a landing place. So let's go back to that coffee table or ottoman. Well, that's the thing also that then I jump up on and have an elevated space and have a different either aha or a dominating space from, and that's what we do with our stages, right? So we're just creating that place to either give us focus or dominance, you know, or something that I could do in a lower body plane that just happens to be up higher. Now I can see a little bit better, you know? So is it obstacle or is it opportunity? I think it depends on how you use it, what your point of view is, you know? Of course, if you set up too many of them, sometimes you just can't go anywhere. So oops. <laughs> don't do that. Right. Which is something I feel like sometimes there's quite honestly, there's too much stuff on the field. Um, so many focuses, so many, you know, I don't, I don't know how anybody ever writes quite honestly. And where I'll disagree with you is it's not the problem of too many things. It's how you use it or when you use it or where you place them, you know, like that's okay. the problem. That's fair. It's not number, it's the use and arrangement of them, you know? That's fair. So I'm reacting to it by thinking, oh, there's all this stuff because it hasn't really been well managed. Ding. Okay. That's fair. And I'm glad you made that point because I don't want to say there can't be lots of stuff. Absolutely. Okay. There can be lots of stuff, but how you use it and, you know, you can just run through, you know, even the BOA that we've just seen everything and go, you know, how was it used? How did people use things to either define the field vertically or define the field horizontally or where was the movement? And, when did it work and when didn't it work? And when did it seem to get in the way? And when was it supportive? One of the rules that I keep in the back of my head is if I'm doing any play, musical ballet, whatever, um, most directors don't want things moving during super important moments. Okay. So if you've got to focus, you've got a trumpet solo and you really want to focus on this trumpet solo, not a great time to be moving a lot of stuff in the background, you know, not a great time we, with, with fissures. We, you know, if you saw fissures, you had all the lighting effects. So I created that, directed that. So it was that same thing. People, the instinct was to overuse that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, this should be, this should shift and elevate. And once in a while you actually see a bump and you notice them and the rest of the time you were just affected by them. So I think that's the way to think about movement in things as well. You know, it's like, how do these things become part of and enhance the performance when they need to, and sometimes have their own effect because, you know, pageantry is fun. Um, spectacle's great. Uh, and then how do you not take away from the other important moments? You know, yeah. so I've got my major woodwind trill going on you know, somewhere. And this is like the thing that I want my woodwind exposures happening. I don't want a thousand other things happening to take away from that. But then when I grow the moment, then I open up to those things or have big moments, things can move or, you know, there's all kinds of ways to think about it. Point being, you've got to consider the whole and how it affects your focus and the show and all that. So yeah. too much stuff, never. How's it used when it's used? Problem. Okay, fair enough. Fair, that's totally fair. And by the way, that Fisher show was gorgeous. Great job on, on your contribution to that. And it was really, really beautiful. And I love that you've been you've said the word focus about a thousand times because I feel like marching band staging and drill writing 
from the beginning of time has always been about creating focus. Where do people look? Where's what's moving? What's drawing your eye, right? So you've been just taking those same principles and applying them here when you have these set pieces that are moving or motivating or whatever. I like that, that that's sort of been the takeaway for me because it's not like the game has changed. It's just you're doing it with some different pieces. I'm helping the game. You're helping it's the game. Right. You're helping it. You're helping motivate staging. You're helping giving it a context. You're helping all of that. Um, and, and as in with music, where you have pieces that have three lines, you have the baritone line going on, you have the woodwind line going on, you have the trumpet line going on. We can have shows that have multiple, multiple focuses that know how to live together, and then you bring them together to the key moment. You know, and sets can do that, you know, as well. So... Well, to that point, that's absolutely the premise for why I called you and wanted to talk to you today is because the set design that you have given us for Ultra the last two years has helped me monumentally be able to figure out how to stage and use it and, and motivate things and actually was really fun both times. Like I thought, okay, now that I'm set up for this, with this help from Michael, like it was really easy and fun. I don't know if it's easy. Well, I guess it was easy. It wasn't simple, but it was easy and fun to sort of figure that out and, and do that staging. And I was thrilled with the opportunities it gave me, you know, that there was a time at the end, right near the end of, well, before the finale where I had the, the altar wins all just sort of jazz run around and come back out with hats. And they just sort of followed that flow that you set me up for. And that was to me really thrilling, not only to, to write, but to see them do. And you made that possible because you set that up. Um, and, and I just, I loved that. Well, you discovered it, but that was a perfect discovery of that. Using that for a simple change like that was great. Super theatrical. And, you know, everybody could tell, like, fell for it. And I mean, fall for it in a good way. You know, they were just like, look at that. Yeah, because they're going back there. They're coming out. Oh, and no, look, now they've got hats. Like, that was, it was that simple. But, yeah. it, boy, did it really help. Um, so, Thank you again for your huge contribution to the success that we've had and for making my life really joyful by using those set designs. If some last question, if somebody's listening and they want to start this, mm. I don't I think that there's a temptation to try to do too much. And I think this mm. is kind of obvious, but I still want to ask you. Um, somebody's doing this, they want to start creating a set, some set pieces to start with. Um, they should start simple. What would you say? Uh, I would say that I work with multiple, probably 40% of the programs I work with, I work with stock units. So I would look at that because I think you have to consider your whole situation. You have to consider what is useful and not useful artistically, financially, transportation, parents. You've got to consider it all. Like who's going to do this? Do they have the infrastructure to, to even get the stuff there? You know, uh, and then who's managing it? So there's a lot to consider before we decide that we want that because you want it to go well and you don't want building things or managing things to distract at the end of the day from the show. So I said that. Are you happy I said that? Everybody should be very happy I said that because <laughs> I honestly believe it. And I go into any project every year going, hey, assess, did this work? Can we make this work? Because if we can't make it work, it's not useful. Number two, I would look at the stock unit things. I would look at you know, where, where do I get into this in easy ways for me to understand, you know, if I'm at a program that, you know, doesn't have designers, you, you're really needing to do it yourself. 
sit and study ways to do it. But my biggest thing I'll tell people is don't just look at marching band. Please don't be interreferential. You know, look at stage productions. Look at how things move in other places. Bring that into our world. You know, don't just draw from our world. I think it's super important. Um, UIL in Texas, you know, like theatrical competitive things in UIL in Texas, which is this amazing. All these programs work from stock things. You get so many blocks and so many long blocks and all this, and how do you use your building blocks, you know? So doing that, like uh, with, with this project, you know, you have stock units that we're working from. And, and then you can add a couple pieces a year to that puzzle and make that puzzle a little bigger and figure out what's useful and what not yes. and find your balance. Yes. So it, how do you do that? You know, learn to walk before you run, learn to run before you dance, you know, or yeah. maybe just start dancing, but you better have a great budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're absolutely right. Like, you know, here's a ramp. Here's just a, a flat platform. Here's some stairs. Start with something, build something interesting, add another piece the next time. Yeah, that's really, that's, that's great advice. And I loved that. I'm going to reiterate one more time. It's like, yes, we should all, if you're a designer, you're working with these groups, you should be going to the ballet. You should be going to the theater. You should be going to art museums. You should be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Um, and, and I just want to, my reinforcement is start with something that you can understand. If you're in a program where you're, you're, you're doing your own drill, you're staging, and you're having to do all this stuff, start with the one little piece that you start understanding what happens if I put this here because now it is going to command how you move. It is going to command where your focuses are. You have to decide who's on that. You put a stage out there, you better know who's on it or not on it the whole time and make sure you understand that. Nothing worse than putting a big stage down front and having nobody on it for a whole song. Nothing worse, okay? <laughs> so you got to understand what that's going to mean. And yeah. I think dive in with the little bits. And again, I do multiple projects where we work with, with stock. And then how do you add a little something every year that really helps with budget? You know, then you're going to get to the point where transportation becomes an issue. And you just, you know, you got to make sure all those things work for your program. And when it can and when it can add and when it can add to the quality and the feel and the entertainment and all that, that's great. But at the end of the day, if it's going to take away from it, I'm saying this, everybody notice I'm saying this, if it's going to take away from the first four columns, you know, how we train the kids, do you have the money to train the kids, are they in private lessons, all these things that matter more, you know, you got to get those columns done before the other stuff matters. So Yeah, I'm glad you said that because we've all seen shows with yeah. elaborate props and costumes, but the kids could not play or march. And I'm like, okay, well, they should have. We should have spent their money there. So let's all make sure that we're not trying to um, do the spend our money or, or emphasize the wrong things. Michael, gosh, another incredibly, every time I talk to you, I learn a lot and I, I'm always excited and I'm excited that you're still, that you're part of our, you're part of our world. You're bringing our expertise from all that work you've done in all these different ways. And, um, you know, you bring it to our activity. You brought it to us at Alter and really helped our season. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it, Tim, very much. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. You too. Make sure you hear our 2022 Bands of America wrap-up podcast, plus a conversation with Archbishop Alter Band Director Todd Tucker. Both podcasts out now at the Marching Roundtable. Thanks again to Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com slash roundtable. 
for their support of the Marching Roundtable and for sponsoring the entire BOA Today podcast series this fall. We hope you'll become a member at Marching Arts Education so you can get access to every one of the over 1,100 podcasts, plus hours of video interviews and webinars. A few great ideas from those doing great work in our activity could be all you need to take your group to the next level. This is your host, Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts. You can always reach me at beastofthemarchingarts.com. And thank you so much for listening. If you're a business that works with band directors, marching bands, color guards, or drum lines, you should sponsor podcasts at the Marching Roundtable. Our listeners are the exact audience you're trying to reach. And with thousands of podcast downloads each month, it's a great way to directly reach your target audience. For more information, click on the Sponsorship Opportunities link at MarchingRoundtable.com or email Tim at Tim at MarchingRoundtable.com. You can grow your business and help support what we're doing here on the podcast.